Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And thank again all of you for being here today. I pray that the service will be a blessing to your heart and life. Will you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 17? Luke chapter 17, and we're going to look at verses 20 through 35. Among the books that I have in my library is a chronological Bible. Chronological Bible is a compilation of Scripture in order of the occurrence of that passage of Scripture. In other words, where on the timeline of history did this particular passage fall? And I'm sure that there are some glitches in it, but for the most part, it's a good reference for a timeline of the Bible. According to that reference, uh, that is the chronological Bible, the crucifixion of Christ happened on April the 15th. Go figure. Uh, I wondered what Jesus might have been thinking about and doing three weeks before crucifixion. It's about three weeks before April the 15th. What was Jesus thinking three weeks before crucifixion day? We're three weeks from celebrating the resurrection, so to the best of my ability, I've chosen a text from approximately three weeks prior to the crucifixion of Jesus. And here's what he was thinking about. He was thinking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God on earth, and the kingdom of God to come. Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here, look here, look there, look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and the lights upon the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot out of uh, out from Sodom, <clears throat> but Lot went out from Sodom and fire and sulfur ruined, uh, rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in the bed, one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together, one will be taken and the other left. Let's just pause right there. One trusted Bible scholar 
estimates that more than a fourth of the Bible is predictive prophecy. More than a fourth of the Bible are prophetic verses. Both the Old and New Testaments are full of promises about the return of Jesus Christ. Over 1,800 references in the Old Testament and 17 Old Testament books give prominence to the theme of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are more than 300 references to the Lord's return. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament is giving some kind of reference to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to it. For every prophecy on the first coming of Christ, there are eight prophecies of the second coming of Christ. Yet, there are many people who believe very strongly that Jesus was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Yet they struggle to believe or comprehend that Jesus will come again to this earth someday. But he will. And it will be a magnificent return. And so today, three weeks prior to the, uh, the celebration of Easter, we want to see what Jesus was looking at three weeks prior to the cross of Calvary. And the thing that he was looking at was the kingdom of God, here and there. And so I would say to you that the first thing that we want to do is to make sure that we are part of the kingdom of God. You want to be part of it, and so do I want to be a part of it. The Jewish people lived in a certain kind of expectation that was different from the rest of the world. Their expectation of who Jesus might be when he came as Messiah was that Jesus might be the next Moses and that Jesus would come to them like Moses, a deliverer and one who would uh, proclaim the deliverance of of Israel. Their Messiah would be a, a conqueror. Their Messiah wouldn't be crucified. He would be a conqueror. And with every encounter between Jesus and the Pharisees, the theme of reclaiming the kingdom was front and center. It was always the most important aspect of their conversations. The Jews asked questions with a desired answer. They asked questions slanted in uh, a direction from which they wanted the answer. In other words, they knew what they wanted to hear. However, Jesus gave them an answer from God. He didn't give them what they wanted to hear. He gave them the truth. Again, from our text, now Luke 17 and verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now let's stop just a moment and remember who he's talking to. He's going to change his conversation in just a moment from talking to the Pharisees to talking to his disciples. He's going to change his conversation from talking to people who had no clue to people who had real insight as to what it meant to, um, to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so he said to the Pharisees, he said, look, the kingdom is not coming in ways that you're going to see or you're going to understand. You recall from the the prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer, 
that Jesus said this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now to wait for the kingdom of God is to overlook the fact that the kingdom of God is to be on earth as it is in heaven. There is a kingdom of God in heaven and there is a kingdom coming, but there is a kingdom of God on earth today. Many years ago, I preached a series about the kingdom of God. And it was a series that was based on passages primarily from the book of Matthew, where it said the kingdom of God is like. And then when they would say that <clears throat> the Jesus would say, or the book would say the kingdom of God is like, then it would give an explanation of what the kingdom of God was like, a variation of the statement. And we were taking a look in that series on <clears throat> what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Now, in his response to the Pharisees, Jesus gives them two interesting pieces of information concerning their inability to see the kingdom on earth or to see the kingdom in heaven. First of all, he pointed out to the Pharisees their spiritual blindness. There is indeed a blindness that is a spiritual blindness. The Pharisees were hoping for more of a Moses, as we said earlier. They weren't expecting someone like Jesus. They was expecting someone uh, like Moses. They wanted plagues. They wanted parting of the seas. And if Jesus was the Messiah, then they would have the control of the world. This is what they were eager for, and this is what they wanted. They believed that their, God's kingdom was there to reward who they were, to reward their faithfulness to reward their position, to reward their righteousness, albeit a self-righteousness. Now, Jesus' response to them was that they wouldn't be able to observe the kingdom. They wouldn't be in a position to see it. That does not mean that, that we'll not know when the second coming takes place, but it does mean that what some people are looking for is not what God will give or what should be expected, especially in this life. Sometimes people will come to know Jesus Christ with a set of, of predispositions as to what the Christian life is going to be like. If I get saved, if I come into the family of God, then I will have less trouble in my life. If I get saved, then I'll have more of this kind of blessing in my life or that kind of, of blessing in my life. And the truth is that there are a lot of people that just misinterpret what being a part of the kingdom of God or being a part of God's family is like. <clears throat> All of us have been to places that were much different than we had pictured in our minds. All of us have seen people that we've only heard on the radio. And when we saw them in person, it was a big shock as to who we were <clears throat> looking at. What the Pharisees was picturing, what they were picturing was not what was going to happen. And he said to them, you're just not really going to be able to observe the kingdom of God. You're not in position to observe it. They were spiritually blind. Romans 8, 6 says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. <clears throat> Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So to be a person that has spiritual blindness is a very difficult thing. It's a very hard thing. There are a lot of people, you know them, 
who are in spiritual blindness. You try to live your life a certain way. You try to raise your family a certain way. You have a certain set of values that are biblical values. And the people that you work with or maybe people in your family or or people that you know in the community, well, they think you're crazy. They just don't understand. What in the world? Why would you think that? What difference does it make? And they just literally think that you're nuts. Now, oftentimes, and most of the time, that is because that they have a certain blind spot that is preventing them from seeing spiritual things. The spiritual blindness that the Pharisees had was much different than the spiritual insight that the disciples had. Jesus told the Pharisees that even though they could not see it, the kingdom of God was in the midst of them. The kingdom of God was all around them, but they would never be able to see it. The only way that anybody can see the kingdom of God really is to be a part of it. That's why this point is to be part. That is to be part of the kingdom of God. The fact of the presence of the kingdom, uh, the, the, the fact of the presence of the kingdom, yet the Pharisees not being able to see it, has truth rooted in these words from Jesus. John 7 and verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Now, here's what that say. If you want a confirmation of the Bible, then live the Bible. If you want a confirmation of the truth of God, then live the truth of God. Be a part of the truth of God. There are many people who never get very far, even in their spiritual walk, because they can't take another step of faith other than the one they took to get into the family of God. And they are halted, they are frozen in place, and they cannot move. And it's probably a legitimate question as to whether or not they've really uh, found the Lord as their Savior. They've really placed their faith in the Lord. Whenever you want to confirm something in Scripture, A, you should just believe it anyway. But if you live it, Jesus said, you'll say, you'll confirm it. You said, if you will do God's will, you'll know whether the teaching is from God. I would add to that the importance of being an active part of the kingdom of God. Let the kingdom live through you. Focusing your life on the path that Jesus would take is to live the kingdom of God. Now, if you're not saved, that is, if you have not come to that place in your heart, And in your life where you would say, if I died today, I know for sure that I would go to heaven. If you've not come to that place in your life, and I'm not talking about becoming a Baptist. I'm not talking about becoming anything other than born again. If you have not come to that place in your life, then your first priority is to get into the kingdom of God by salvation, by trusting Jesus Christ. And any time is a good time to get that settled. But the season of the resurrection is certainly a time to establish his salvation in your heart and in your life. And the question is, have you established his salvation in your heart and your life? Are you a part of the kingdom of God? Well, I hope so, some might say. 
Well, there is a hope to eternal life, but it's a knowledgeable hope. It's a confident hope. It's a confirmed hope. I have the hope of eternal life, but it's not a questioning hope. It's a confident hope, not based on who I am or what I do or how good I live, but based on my personal relationship with Jesus Christ and the day that he confirmed me, if you will, into the family of God. I was confirmed into the family of God when I, by faith, received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And that's the first and most important thing in anyone's life, is to be confirmed in the family of God. You say, well, I was confirmed when I was a baby. I appreciate what you're saying, and I appreciate those of you who were baptized based on the faith of your parents. I do appreciate that. But the reality is that what that did was to pretty much what we saw today with the the Leeser family. That was to show the family of God that your family was dedicated to the Lord. Now we prayed for these beautiful children today. We prayed for these beautiful little girls, five of them, and that handsome young man. We prayed for them and we asked God to save them early in their lives. Now they didn't walk down from this platform and back to their seats, born again believers. They're still safe sheep, but there'll come a time when they're a lost sheep and when they're a lost sheep, they will need to be confirmed into the family of God. And the confirmation in the family of God is for us who are sinners to ask the Lord to forgive us of all our sins and to save us from our sins and place us into his family. We become a part of the kingdom. In the kingdom of God, you want to be a part of it. Here's the second thing. You want to be wise. Now, Jesus turns from the Pharisees who could not see to the disciples, the followers of Christ, who did have spiritual insight. Verse 22, and he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the son of man and you'll not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here, do not go out or follow them. Now here's a couple of things that we should learn here in getting wisdom concerning the kingdom of God. First of all, we have to learn to be patient. Jesus predicted the state of looking for his return that would preoccupy the Christian world. And, there, and it's good to look for the return of Christ. And there are a lot of people who are, are occupied daily by the looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. But there are also people who are preoccupied. To look for the kingdom, the disciples were not they, they were not, uh, neither are we discouraged from looking for his return. In fact, we're told to be patient. Patience and endurance are keys to waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. I think most of you, I don't have, have any scientific or intrinsic knowledge on this, but I think most of you believe in the return of Jesus Christ. I believe that you believe that Jesus will return someday on this earth that he will rule and reign on this earth. And that is a good thing. Now, the key is to be patient for his return. Romans 5, 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Hebrews 6, 12. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those 
who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. All of those are teaching patience, endurance in our lives. James chapter 1 and verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, <clears throat> lacking nothing. I could go on, but you get the point. The point is that in the wisdom of living the spiritual life, the Christian life, the kingdom life, we have to have insight, and we have to have some patience. We have to be patient. Jesus is coming again. No amount of his, no, no amount of the difficulty that's gone on and and the difficulty that is going on is going to delay uh, anything regarding the coming of Jesus Christ. He is coming again. And we should learn to be patient for that coming. And here's the second thing. We must learn discretion. Discretion in the spiritual walk is very, very important. In my lifetime, there has been no shortage of predictions about the coming of Jesus Christ. There have been no shortage of predictions about who the Antichrist might be. The Antichrist has been so many different people. The Antichrist was um, Hitler at one time. The Antichrist was John F. Kennedy at one time. The Christian community, there's always somebody who raises up wanting somebody to be the Antichrist. The most popular antichrist today is Obama or Oprah or Hillary. Some people might think that Newt Gingrich is the antichrist or Rush Limbaugh. I don't know. But I will tell you this. Nobody knows who the antichrist is. And we have to have discretion about that. Let me give you a few quotes. <clears throat> the last days are upon us. Wait carefully the times. Look for him who is above all times eternal and invisible. That statement was made by Ignatius, who lived at 110 A.D. Here's another quote. There is no doubt that the Antichrist has already been born, firmly established in his early years. He will, after reaching maturity, achieve supreme power. That came in the year 375. In the year 236, a church leader named uh, Hippolytus predicted that Christ was sure to return by 500 A.D. He said, well, boy, those guys were just a bunch of kooks and nuts. Well, what about Martin Luther? That's not a kook and a nut. Here's what Martin Luther said in the 1500s. We've reached the time of the white horse of the apocalypse. This world will not last any longer than 100 years. Christopher Columbus said that he was sure that the world would end by 1656. In the 1800s, a Christian named William Miller said, I'm fully convinced that somewhere between March 21st, 1843 and March 21st, 1844, Christ will come. When Miller's date came and went, all kinds of Christian people left the faith because they said, we just can't have any faith in what anybody says. And who could forget Y2K. 
Y2K had the Lord returning because all of the computers are going to explode and so forth and so on. Now, we shouldn't diminish our interest in the coming of the Lord. We should only establish that no one can predict it, no matter how knowledgeable they may seem. Jesus warned about that in Luke 17, 23. And they will say to you, look here or look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. As Jesus thought of the cross and the resurrection to follow, he was teaching about the coming of the kingdom and the one on earth and the one to come. And he also knew that the days ahead would call for his followers to be strong. Jesus, three weeks before the cross, is teaching of the coming of the kingdom. And he knows that in teaching of the coming of the kingdom that those who are around and all of us need to be a part of that kingdom. And we need to be wise and discerning and we need to be strong. Why did they need to be strong and why do we need to be strong? Verse 24, for as the lightning flashes and the lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the son of man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now remember this, there are two aspects of the return of Jesus Christ. I've taught this church this many, many times. So some of you will already know this deep down inside. There's the time when Jesus comes for his saints and the time when Jesus comes with his saints. The time when Jesus comes for his saints is considered as or called the rapture. That's not a Bible word. That is a descriptive word of what will happen. That is when the dead in Christ, the Bible shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That is the time that is referred to as the rapture. And then there is the time of the second coming. That's when Jesus Christ, after he has come for his saints, comes back to this earth with his saints and brings his saints with him and establishes his millennial kingdom on this earth. There will be a time on this earth when Jesus Christ will stand uh, on this earth again, <clears throat> he will rule and reign, and we will be a part of the millennial kingdom. You say, oh, come on, Pastor Ray, we like you so much. Don't be, don't be a kook now. Don't, don't get all nutty on us. Come on now, <clears throat> for real? You think he's really, really, really going to establish a kingdom on this earth? Well, to which I would ask you, do you really, really, really think a virgin gave birth? Do you really, really, really think the Holy Spirit uh, helped the virgin to conceive without a, a man involved? Do you really, really, really think that Jesus was crucified and laid down in the grave three days and on the third day arose? Yeah, I believe all of that. Same book. <clears throat> Same book. Here's your problem. You've been reading cliff notes of this book. And it's not hitting all the high parts. Jesus really is coming again. Now, most of the time when the coming of Christ is mentioned in the Bible, it's not talking about the rapture. It's talking about the second coming when Jesus comes and reigns on this earth. And so Jesus prepares them for something that will happen very soon. He said, look, you're going to have to be strong. You're looking for my return, but you have to understand that if I go away, <clears throat> how do I go away? 
We know that no amount of warning or preparation was enough to prepare them for the events that they would solve. But even so, he was telling them to be strong in the most difficult times ahead. They would need strength when Jesus was arrested. They would need strength when he was tried and rejected by the crowds. They would be strength, need strength when he was crucified between two thieves. And their strength is a benchmark for all of us to have strength. In our worst day on this earth as a person or a believer, none of us were crucified unjustly, falsely. If we cannot identify with the sufferings of Jesus, we can at least appreciate what his disciples must have been feeling. They were experiencing this difficult time of looking at Jesus and now he's talking about going away and he's talking about suffering and he's talking about pain and and everybody else is talking about the kingdom and they're excited and it's not too many days away that there's going to be a a Palm Sunday and a triumphal entry and as they go in with Jesus, they're going to forget all about what he said because it's so exciting to be with Jesus. He said, look here, you got to be strong. And then he said this, you better be watchful. Jesus tells of the ways life will be when he returns. Remember, he'll return to 40 days of resurrection life after Easter morning. But what he's telling the disciples is dated past that time of resurrection life. Here's what he says it will be like when his second coming takes place, not the rapture. There are no precursors to the rapture. Jesus could come at any time, at any time. He could come before you get to Whataburger today. And I urge and am happy for and look for the coming of the Lord, but I will tell you, I would like one more trip to Whataburger. How much you want to bet Whataburger will be packed today? Here's what he said. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered in the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on that day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus mentions two catastrophic times in the Old Testament, the time of Noah and the time of Lot. And in both cases, the people of the day thought everything was fine. Everything's okay. Do you know that it doesn't matter what you and I think about the economy, whether we're in the recovery or not? Do you know that it doesn't matter to God whether or not we feel like that this world is going to hell in a handbasket or not. I think it matters what our moral stand is and what we stand for in this life. But I want to tell you something. God is not viewing this earth concerning his return based on your eyes or mine. Any more than he looked at Sodom and Gomorrah based on the eyes of those who lived there or the time of Noah based on the eyes of those who were on the earth at that time. 
He looks to it, to it at his, in his eyes. The folks were just moving along at a normal pace while the corruption of the world around them was attracting the attention of God. Now, I will ask this question. Do you think, do you think that the condition of our world is attracting the attention of God? Do you think that God has said, ah, let him alone. That's no big deal. It's not a big thing. Earlier we read where Jesus warned us against following those people who say that they know when Jesus' return will be. That being said, it's interesting that the times of Noah and Lot were both marked by extraordinary, extraordinary immorality, yet people just moved on like that immorality was every day. Take a look around us. Do the math for yourself. We seem to be willing to let the world around us, we will let the world around us go to hell as long as we got a nice house and a couple of good cars, maybe three. As long as we've got a flat screen TV, high definition. As long as we've got our iPads and our iPhones or our droids or Galaxy 3s or whatever they may be. As long as we've got those things, we're okay. Who cares about drug use? Who cares about drunkenness? Just as long as it doesn't come to my house. I just don't want it at my house. Who cares about perversion? Who cares about immorality? What difference does it make uh, that, that one and a quarter million babies every year in the United States are being murdered in the name of abortion? Who cares? Last weekend, T today is, is my daughter-in-law Lindsay's birthday, and she's due to have her baby on May the 5th. By the way, still abortable according to um, law, I guess. We sat at, at a fish place over in Jacksonville, and she was sitting across from us, and she, she was sitting there, and, and she looked over at Jan, and she said, she doesn't like to say anything because as soon as she says something, uh, Emerson stops. I think Emerson knows that we're, we're talking about her. <laughs> and you looked and, and, you know, a little foot was doing this number, I guess, or hand or something. She's living upside down these days. She said, look. And I looked over there and I thought, that's Emerson. But you know, God's dealing with a world that's calling Emerson a fetus. I understand the, the scientific term, but I also understand the miracle of creation. And, and you have to understand that this is the world that we're living in today. This is what's going on all around us. As long as we have ours, it's okay. That's where we are. This is exactly what Jesus is warning his disciples about. Becoming satisfied in their situation instead of focused on the kingdom of God. And to that end, he would tell them, he would tell you and me, <clears throat> this is a final point to be ready. Verse 31, on that day, 
Let the one who is on the housetop and with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. One of my famous, or famous favorite sermons <clears throat> is a sermon that's, that's the text, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life <clears throat> will keep it. I tell you that that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. I used to, when I was a little boy, I slept in the bed with my brother. I heard this passage read. I'd be at home at night and it'd scare me. Because I really loved my brother, but if one of us was going to have to be left, I wanted to be him. <clears throat> Two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Let me close with a story. Robin, Robbie Robbins, I, his name was, was an Air Force pilot during the first Iraq War. Um, I think that was... It was Joe Mitchell and Don Bragg's war, wasn't it? Uh, the first Iraq war and some of the others here in the church. <clears throat> After his 300th <clears throat> mission, he was surprised to be given permission to immediately pull his crew together and fly his plane home. And so they flew across the ocean to Massachusetts and then they had a long drive to western Pennsylvania. And they drove all night and when his buddies dropped him off at his driveway, it was just <clears throat> sun up. But he could see on the garage a big banner <clears throat> that said, Welcome home, Dad. <laughs> Pretty cool. How'd they know, he thought. <clears throat> no one had called. and The crew themselves hadn't expected to leave so quickly. Robin relates... When I walked into the house, the kids were about half-dressed for school, and they screamed, Daddy! <clears throat> Susan came running down the hall. She looked terrific. Her hair was fixed, makeup on, a crisp yellow dress. How did you know? Robbins asked his wife. I didn't, she answered. Once we knew the war was over, we knew that you'd be home one of these days. We knew that you'd try to surprise us, so we were ready every day. I'm sure that all of us are getting ready for the Passion Play. That's going to be great. Two weeks from this whole weekend, Passion Play. It's going to be a great event here. I hope all of you are coming to the Passion Play. We're getting ready for Easter, wonderful Easter morning services. In addition, our sunrise service at Cully's Meadowood. We're getting ready for all of those things. But the question is, are we ready for Jesus to come back? Are we ready for his return? That's what he was thinking about three weeks before the cross. He was thinking about getting people ready. He was thinking about you. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church. 
3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.